who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Ooh, um, it would probably be um, that I am a lot stronger and smarter than I think I am. Um, I never give myself enough credit. I am usually my worst critic. And um, so I spend, or I did, now I've kind of gotten older and you know, I've had a lot of crap happen in my life. And, you know, when you get older, you just start to say, this is important. This is not important. Um, but yeah, my my younger self was always um, in this mode of self-doubt. And, um, you know, wondering, am I making the right choice? Did I do that the right way? And I spent so much time doing that, that I lost a lot of productive time. And I dare say I did the same with my writing as well. Um, because, you know, we talked about this last time, I kind of wrote a large portion of the book and then I put it away because I thought, I'm not a good writer. This is bad. Why am I trying to do this? I already have this job where, you know, I'm doing all these other things. I'm trying to raise kids. So, um, so then I put the book away for seven years and, and that's a lot of time I could have been doing something that I love and enjoy. Um, so yeah, I, I think my biggest piece of advice is just relax, enjoy the ride. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and you are listening to the Downtown Writers Jam After Party. It's part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. We are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker today with one of my absolute favorite people that I've interviewed on the program, Wanda Morris. Her book, Anywhere You Run, just came out October 25th, I believe. Uh, she's a fantastic storyteller, along with being a great writer. So this little Q&A was fun as hell. 
another one where I had to go edit out a bunch of my stuff because we just get to talking and laughing and having a good time. And uh, before I know it, like we've gone way over time. So I'm looking forward to you to hearing that. Now, uh, she's been on the program before when her book, All Her Little Secrets, came out. We had her on the jam and I referenced a couple of the stories that she told because uh, she's just one of those people that like very unassuming, like great to talk to, very engaging, all of that. And then she'll just like drop this bomb and you're like, what the hell? Like, that's amazing. Including the fact that she wrote her whole first book without anybody knowing she was doing it. So all of that's on the jam. We talk a little bit about it today. Uh, but if you listen to the after party, you know, this is a Q&A show. So we're going to be telling the stories for about 45 minutes. Uh, all Her Little Secrets was written up everywhere, won awards, was on best of lists, all of that. Uh, it was fantastic. You should get it. She's an alumna of the Yale Writers Workshop uh, and the Robert McKee Story Seminar. She's a member of Sisters in Crime. Mystery Writers of America, and Crime Writers of Color. She is uh, a corporate attorney, and she's worked in the legal department of some of the biggest Fortune 100 companies. Accomplished presenter and leader, uh, which comes across as she's telling stories, like you just know. And as the former president of the Georgia chapter of the Association of Corporate Counsel, she established a female empowerment program known as the Women's Initiative, which we talked a little bit about in the jam. Married, mother of three, lives in Atlanta, Lots of that stuff is going to come up today during the show. As you know, we do three versions of this show. We do the jam, which is our hour-long program, the after party, which you're listening to today, which is our Q&A, and jam sessions, which is our nonfiction show. You don't have to worry about any of that. Just get yourself subscribed wherever you listen to the Downtown Writers Jam, and you will have everything we do showing up in your ear holes. A couple things you can do. One, get subscribed. And two, tell your friends about us. That is super helpful as we continue to bring you some really fascinating authors. We're always trying to introduce you to new people. And leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts or the Facebook page. Like I told you at the top of the program, we are part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. If you join our Patreon for just a few bucks a month, you get commercial-free episodes, bonus content, all you get... The shows before they come out, Malls and Nicole have built this massive library of shows and people doing great stuff, um, and it's a great way to support everything we do. So I don't want to belabor this because this interview show with Wanda is so much fun. I want to get you to that. Thank you for spending time with us in the bunker. And now sit back enjoy my chat with the wonderful Wanda Morris. So the first part of the show is really about you as a writer. Um, so these are sort of bookended questions around that. And the first question is this, why do you write? Uh, you know what, Brad? I saw that as your number one question. I was like, oh, what the hell, Brad? Like, I don't know how to answer this, but you know, it's kind of like, like, why do I breathe? Why do I blink? I like, I do it because it is now like just kind of this unconscious movement to me. And even though these are like my first, um, you know, forays into publishing, 
I've always written in some form or fashion. You know, I was writing, you know, these crazy little stories when I think I was probably like in junior high. And that's when I started writing um, stories. And don't ask me to tell you about them because they were bizarre and stupid. And, um, you know, but I was always writing in some form or fashion. I was writing speeches in high school, um, you know, writing, again, doing some creative writing a little bit in college. Um, and then I started journaling. And once I discovered journaling, you know, I started doing that with some regularity, like I try and journal, um, you know, every day or at least every other day, um, because now it kind of provides this cathartic outlet for me. Um, and so I've always been writing. And so it's kind of like, why do I write? I feel like I do it because I don't know how like not to do it. Like even when I was practicing as a lawyer, you know, I was writing in some form of fashion. It wasn't exactly my, you know, favorite type of writing because briefs are very stilted um, versus, you know, writing creative fiction. But um, I've always been writing. So I, I can't even tell you like why I do it. I, I just do, you know. I, I'm 100% now. I haven't written anything to publish in like five years, but if you would wander around this library, you would still see writing in all my journal. Like, I can't not. Like, it's how I make sense of whatever it is that's yeah. happening around me. Exactly. Exactly. It's how we all kind of process and, and make sense of what is going on around yeah. us. And particularly over the last few years that have been so crazy, you know, the, the world is literally upside down. It yeah. just between the, you know, political climate, the actual climate, climate, um, <laughs> COVID. I mean, everything is just topsy-turvy. And just journaling helps me, just putting the words down on paper helps me to process that which is sometimes difficult to process in my brain. Um, yeah, even if I'm not journaling, like it doesn't really matter what it is, I'm always working, that's how I work stuff out. Whatever it is emotionally that's happening inside of here comes out in the way that it needs to. Like, and I used to tell writers early in their career, like if you can do anything else, do it. And if you can't, you're probably a writer. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I've never talked to a writer that's like, I don't know why I write. They're like, I can't not. I can't yeah. not. I can't not write. And I yeah. find it spills over into other parts of my life too, because I find particularly now um, that if I don't write something down, it it just doesn't become as yeah important yeah. to me, and it's gone. Like right, short term memory yeah. shot. Yeah. So it's like if I'm not writing it down and consciously, you know, processing yeah. it through word, it's gone. Yeah. Sometimes I tell, <laughs> I tell people if we're talking and it's a business meeting and I say I'm going to do it and I didn't write it in my planner, just know I've lied to you. <laughs> like, that that shit ain't happening. Like if I didn't write it down. I've just said, yeah, to move on. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's the next one. So what's the question or statement that people say to you about writing that drives you crazy? What do you usually say to them? What do you really want to say to them? Ah, 
I had this one. I was ready for this one. The thing that bugs me the most is when people say writers should always, and then you fill in the blank, write every day, oh. drink coffee, light a candle, take a walk. Writers should always do X, Y, and Z. It's like when you write, it is a very um, subjective, creative process. And you have to work out that process the way that is best for you. And so I, you know, when I first started writing in <laughs> and actually told somebody I was writing, um, <laughs> I would get all sorts of advice like, oh yeah, if you're writing your first book, you know, you have to start by, you know, putting everything down in the computer or you have to outline or you shouldn't outline or, you know, whatever it was, I got all these things, you know, you should do your query letter this way. You should only, you know, send out your queries to this many agents and then reserve. So it was always getting all this advice and, and most of it conflicting. And some of it worked and some of it didn't. And it was only when I was years into the process that I realized, oh, wait a minute, that advice doesn't work for me. And I am like pushing spaghetti uphill, trying to get it to work for me. Why am I doing this? Yeah. And so it was only when I learned that I needed to figure out the process that works for me. And so I, you know, and, and I have a lot of writers that come to me and they're like, you know, what's, what's your advice? What would you give me? And I'm like, just listen to your gut, do what feels right to you, do what feels natural to you. You know, there are some do's and don'ts, you know, like, don't write a query letter and CC all the agents that right. you know, want to send the right. book to. I mean, that kind of stuff is obvious. But when it comes to just the writing process itself, I think everybody has to kind of find their own way. You know, my writing process is pretty, um, gosh, what's the word I'm searching for? Uh, messy. Um, so, you know, I start out by writing, you know, the opening and kind of beginning of a book in longhand with a blue pilot gel to G2 ink pen on yellow legal pad. And then somewhere in the process, I put all that aside, put it in the computer, start typing it in the computer. Then I dump all that out into the printer. And then I start working again by longhand. And then I realize, oh gosh, I forgot about a certain scene. So then I have to start the process all over again. So like, am I going to tell somebody else to do that? <laughs> no. no. So... I, I, you know, I always tell people when, you know, I'm sitting in a workshop or something and I'm like, you know, yeah, if that works for you, then do it. But they're all different sorts of ways that you can write a book, that you can, you know, write a query letter, that you can pitch uh, your book. So don't be limited to you know, some one particular um, way of doing things. This process, this this whole business of writing and publishing is 
so subjective and so kind of crazy that I'd hate to steer somebody wrong by saying you have to do it this way. Yeah. I, somebody once told me that advice is something that I did. <laughs> right. Whatever advice I give you is like, well, here's what I did. Right. Like right. I that's what I did. It doesn't work for me. Right. Yeah. Like, and you know, and then people get mad when you didn't do it. They're like, but I did it. Why aren't you doing it? Like, why ain't you, man? Like, I'm like <laughs> Right, because I used to always be told you have to write every single day yeah. um, to be productive. And that works for some authors. That doesn't work for me when I'm working a full-time job and raising three kids and trying to do all these things to all these people. I couldn't write every day. Yeah. And even now, I can't write every day because, you know, I still, my youngest is still, you know, in school, he's in the eighth grade. And so I oh. still have those days where I can't, yeah. but I make sure that I'm doing something working towards the book, but I've stopped beating up on myself for not writing every day as I was. That's what it gets down to. I think like give yourself space to figure your shit out. Like right. tell every writer, like if somebody could tell you how to write a novel or a nonfiction book, that they would do it. The fact that they, they can't, means that nobody can <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yes i was writing my second book and i was like oh yeah what are words like <laughs> how do i do this <laughs> yeah. like, that's an existential problem <laughs> right exactly it's like oh my gosh how do i start this all over again you know blue pen yellow pad in hand yeah. And I was still like, oh, God, how do I do this? Um, so, yeah, every book to me is hard. I'm working on the third one and I'm just crawling through it, yeah. begging someone to save me because it's just as hard um, yeah. as the other two. And I just had a, a woman I've had on the show, Louise Vaughn, who wrote two amazing historical fiction books, wrote a third, threw it out and mm. like re rewrote it like she was like, that book isn't the book. And she, it, so her fourth book is actually your third book. And I'm like, that's somebody who knows what they're doing and yeah. finished the book and was like, yeah, that's not the thing. This isn't working. Exactly. And like, yeah. that's, I always tell people, that's when you're a professional, when you're like, nah, that's not the thing. Like, you're not trying to make a thing work that doesn't work. You're just like, yeah, I can do this again. This isn't it. It broke my heart a little bit <laughs> as a writer. <laughs> yeah, that, that one hurts. I remember when I wrote all her little secrets, I originally wrote that book in um, third person and I, I was getting all sorts of oh. rejection. And, you know, a lot of the rejection I got was like, um, the character just feels so far removed and I can't really yeah, relate I can 100% to see that. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I scrapped that and rewrote the entire book in first person. And it made all the difference in the world, of course, but, you know, writing a book going from third person to first person isn't just a matter of replacing all the eyes, you know. All the game. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different perspective. Yeah. And so then I was like seeing things that the third person narrator couldn't see. And yeah. I was just like, oh, okay. This is going to take some time. <laughs> I actually think that would be super hard because there's already you already have the story in your head, and then you yeah. got to like literally not only shift the lens, but like what don't I know now? Like what, what don't, don't I know exactly. in the story? So there was yeah. stuff right she wasn't supposed yeah. to know, and yeah. that she couldn't see, and rooms she couldn't be in, and I was just like, 
Ooh, yeah. how do I do this? So and yeah, that meant my clues had to change. Yeah. yeah. The whole exactly. book, like you wrote a whole different book. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you said that and I was like, oh, although I've read the book and I'm like, oh no, that would not have been good as third person. Like the intimacy of that first person is what made that book claustrophobic and really good. Like that, Thank yeah. you, yeah, yeah. So good for you, like that sucks, but yay. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I didn't have to do it. I got the benefit of your work. <laughs> so here's the third question. Uh, every writer has that one review, like that review that is in their head. What's yours? Oh, gosh. Okay. You stumped me again with this question. Because see, here's the thing. Here is the background. I don't look at reviews. <laughs> like, unless somebody tells me. Somebody says, Oh, you got a great review. This is great, yeah. And so then I'm like, oh yeah, let's go read that. But I remember um, just as All Her Little Secrets uh, was was coming out, I don't even think it was out. I think maybe advanced reader copies had gone out to to some readers and and some influencers. And um, I went on to Goodreads and I read a review of All Her Little Secrets. And I, I think the only thing that hurt my heart more was when Amador Johnson told me he didn't like me in the third grade and I was brokenhearted. I mean, that really hurt. That was my, that was my first, that was my first crush. I, wherever you are, Amador, I, you know, I, I was really digging you. And I'm with you. That's not, that didn't roll off your back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I read that Goodreads review and I was like, wow, okay. And I clicked off Goodreads and I don't go back in there. Never been back. Yeah, I someone said Goodreads is for readers and not for writers. And I believe that to be true. And so I don't read a lot of reviews. What I will, yeah, I, I, I just, can't. I don't, I, you know what, that, that's not a productive use of my time. No. Exactly. There is a line that I wrote in the second book, Anywhere You Run. And uh, one of the characters, Violet, She's like, you know, what people think about me is none of my business. My business. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's kind of true. It's kind of like, you know, whatever they think. I, yeah. You know, I appreciate the support if you bought the book. But if it wasn't for you, I get that because I read books that aren't yeah. always for me. And, and that's okay. That's why there are so many different types of writers and so many different types of books. Yeah. I will tell you, though, Brad, that I had... What I do appreciate is when people who've read the book and they reach out to me and sometimes they reach out to me and they aren't happy and that's okay too. But I had a gentleman who told me he was in his 60s. He said, I'm a white man. I'm in my 60s and I love this book. He was talking about all her little secrets. He said, I could certainly appreciate it says something to the fact he could appreciate what Elise Littlejohn was going through. He said, because he had been traumatized as a boy and he had a similar experience to hers. And so the decisions that she made later in life, he certainly understood. And that would make me well up 
So yes. if you consider that a review, that's the review I yeah. remember because you know, like you want your books to entertain, of course, but you also want them to touch and enlighten and do all these other things. And that this guy said, yeah, this book did that for me. And that's a person who didn't look like me. He's yeah. white male sixties. We don't look anything alike. And, yeah. and you get that email and you yeah. get that first sentence and you're like, well, this could go many ways. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah. <laughs> like whoo whoo <laughs> dodge the bullet with my people uh okay here's the fourth one and you sort of talked about this but it may be a different answer uh mm -hmm. what was your best writing epiphany and how did it come about mm, okay i remember i was in a workshop and uh we had to read a portion of our work and I read an excerpt from All Her Little Secrets and, and it hadn't been published yet. Um, it was years away from being published, but I read this excerpt and um, the instructor in the class at the end of the class, he said, you know, that was really good what you read. And I was like, oh, thank you. And he's like, no, 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 no. He says, you know, the writing was very good. He said, but the story you're telling, he's like, you're a storyteller. And I was like, oh my gosh. And and that stuck with me. And um, I, I like that description that I tell stories. It's yeah. not just about the book. Um, and um, and so for me, that was an epiphany because that meant, yeah, that, that's what I'm doing. And I always come back to that too. Whenever I get stuck in my writing, I'm like, what's the story I'm trying to tell yeah. as opposed to, oh, I have to finish this book. Oh, I have to get through this chapter. It's like, what is the story here that I'm trying to tell? All right. So here's the last one. This is the bookend to the first question and the end to part one, which is to you, what does it mean to be a writer? Mm. So for me, and this is my definition, I feel like being a writer means that you are an observer and an interpreter of life that you know what you see and how you translate that for the world um, makes you a writer and I think that that is a really huge responsibility and an incomprehensibly generous gift and blessing to me to be a writer, um, maybe because it took me so long to get here. Um, I am so grateful that I get up every morning and I have um, the blessing and the joy to sit at a desk and write. That's pretty good. I feel like, <laughs> that's, a pretty, I feel like that's a pretty good what it means to be a writer. All right, that ends the writing portion of this show. So we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back, and then we're going to do five questions about you. So we'll be All back right. in a second. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. 
Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we're back with part two, which if you listen to the show, you know this is my favorite part because I love talking to writers about writing, but my favorite thing are people. So here's the first question. What makes you the happiest? Oh, that's an easy one. With when I am with my husband and my kids, I have um, this wonderful, wonderful little family I've been blessed with. I have a great extended family as well, too. I love all of y'all. Um, um, but, you know, I, I met this really wonderful man years ago, and um, he was bright enough um, to uh, marry me. And we... Um, created these three little beings that, you know, they're not so little anymore. Um, two of my kids are up and out of the house. I have a son in law school, a daughter who's out working. And then I have a 13 year old uh, who is, uh, he just started eighth grade today. And it's great. That's a good yeah. age. Oh yeah. 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 And I, I told him this morning, I was like, oh, you're like the senior of, you know, middle school. And he was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, because I saw uh, a couple kids standing outside. I was like, you don't want to get out and talk to them. He's like, those are seventh graders. Like, <laughs> it's already started. The social stratifying's already started. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, when I, when I'm with them, they are wonderful. It's my father, his whole life said, the only thing I want home to be is a safe spot. He's like, mm -hmm. I don't care what you've done in the world. I don't care what bad thing might've happened, whatever. When you come home, I need you to know that that's safe and this is your place. And I've told people like the biggest gift that I've had in my life is that. Yeah, that's a wise man there. I think that's what we all want. We want a place where we can just come and be safe and be ourselves. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I like that advice. Your father was a wise man. He had his moments. <laughs> he had his moments. <laughs> All right. This, I, I love this question because too often times we talk about this in terms of like from childhood to adulthood. But in your adult life, what do you think are the most profound ways that you have changed in your adult life? Mm -hmm. I think. I've become more patient with myself. Um, I had, and I think we talked about this earlier, 
this whole idea of, you know, being young and I've got to do this by this date and this by that date. And by the time I'm 40, I should have accomplished all these things. And now I, you know, I'm at a place in my life where I'm doing work that gives me purpose and, you know, gives me joy. And um, I, you know, I make a lot of mistakes and that's okay because that's part of, you know, baking this whole bread that is Wanda, you know, it's like <laughs> mistakes, warts and all. Um, this is what you get. And I, um, I'm really grateful for uh, the journey that got me to this place. Yeah. Um, the good stuff and the bad stuff, because the bad stuff is the stuff that really, you know, builds the strain of character. And um, I've had a lot of bumps along the way yeah. and I'm, I'm grateful for it all. And I've learned to be more patient with myself. But giving grace to yourself is, yeah. is maybe the hardest thing for a human to do. Yeah, exactly. And, it, you know, it's so funny because now I look at uh, my two older kids who are, you know, young adults and starting to get out into the world. And, you know, I look at the things that kind of stress over and I'm like, it really is going to be okay. But I know you need to go through this process. Yeah. You need to go through some of that anxiety to yeah. get to where you need to get to, but you're going to be okay. Trust yeah. me. you're Because be advice okay. is something you did. <laughs> right like, yeah Look, some of that stuff i invented the game yeah. okay <laughs> yeah yeah there is there, that i think the piece and i don't have it all the time but like the piece of that you get to is earned and, mm -hmm. and it's only earned by going through that stuff and like oh, learning to give yourself grace and other people grace and and letting go of some things that you thought you were unable to let go of yeah yeah and and i think part parcel of that too you know being patient with myself means being patient with other people too because <laughs> you know I look at some other folks I'm like oh you've I think you said it earlier it's like what did you go through to get to this point yeah um and so I I try to be patient with everybody because you never know what somebody is going through and my friend I have a very wise friend and um she said you know everybody is going through something everybody's yeah. going through something some folks go through it you know with a lot more grace or you know <laughs> but everybody is going through something and so I try to you know give a little yeah. patience to people in that on regard. your best day I know on our bad days you're like ah, I'm gonna just feel bad about this later on like yeah. I can't handle you right now. I'll feel bad about exactly. this later, but get, like, you know. I'm gonna walk yeah. away from the situation. Yeah. I've also that's learned that's part of my giving you some patience. Yeah. <laughs> my happiness also bounces accounts here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So this is a story about somebody else. So tell me the story about the time somebody had a profound influence on your life. Yes. Um, that would be Mrs. Shirley Cook. And she was my fifth grade teacher. And I will never forget because I've always believed words matter. And I was in school sitting in the back row with, I sat beside Lisa Dixon. 
Lisa Dixon, wherever you are, thank you for participating in this aspect of my life. So Lisa and I have these pencils and we always liked our pencils really, really sharp. And we yeah. had these really super sharp pencils and we're playing back and forth with these pencils. And Lisa scratches me with one of them. And so you know, it required me to get a Band-Aid, you know, kids, we get a little dramatic. And so the teacher was like, okay, she got me a Band-Aid and she was like, Lisa Dixon and Wanda Morris, you two stay after school. I need to talk to you. And we were like, oh, okay. So now she wants a rundown. What happened? What's going on with the pencils? And I'm like, okay. So Lisa starts first. And Lisa's like, oh, I was trying to handle the pencil. The pencil slipped. I made a mistake. I hit it, blah, blah, blah. So she asked me, Wanda, what happened with the pencils? I was like, well, I was trying to get it. And then we kind of playing around. And she's like, you're playing around. It's like, why are you playing around? And I was like, well, Lisa made me do it. And I will never forget this. It has always stuck with me. Miss Cook looked at me and she said, nobody can ever make you do something that you don't want to do. And I was like 10 years old and I was struck by that comment. And that stayed with me for the rest of my life. And so every time somebody tried to pressure me in to do something, peer pressure, my friends, it was like, no, if I don't want to do that, Miss Cook said, I don't have to do that. And, and and I did, I'm serious. It stayed with me when, you know, boys were in high school and we were in the car and they were like, yay, what about, you know, I was like, eh, nope, you know, college, work, job situations. But I was like, you know what? I really don't want to do this and I don't have to. So words matter, especially words to children. Yeah. Um, and that was for me, you know, I I know it's kind of simple and I make light of the story, but that's not really simple is, at all. It, it really is the essence, I think, of, you know, what you want your kids, what you want, <laughs> you know, people to think like you have free will. And when you just gravitate into these mob mentalities, <laughs> you're going to suffer the consequences. And we could have a whole nother show yeah. about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, we but got I it. think you know what I'm talking about. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Yeah. yeah, and just having like to grow up with agency as a yes. thing without putting that word on it, but like no, right. I got, and and not only do I not have to do it, I don't have to feel bad about not doing it. I don't that want was, to do this. That was the genius of it. Yeah. Is that I didn't have to feel bad about it. Nobody could force me to do something. And it was okay if I said no. And do you know how important that is for a little black girl to hear that? Right? I don't know, but I can imagine. <laughs> it, 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 let me tell you. Yeah. Trust me, it is. Yeah. Trust me, it is. And yeah. so, you know, Mrs. Cook, God rest her soul now. Um, you know, her words have resonated and they are words that have passed on to my kids and every little kid that, you know, I have come in contact with where we've had these discussions. It's like, yeah. you are your own separate person. You don't have to do certain things. Um, and this is a like total aside, but just from my middle school teaching years, which I did, like I've told folks like, 
we tell kids that are like when they're young and in love, like, oh, this isn't real love. It's blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, these are sentient beings who are experiencing the deepest kinds of emotions that they've ever experienced. And if you tell them it's not real, what have you just told them? Right. Like you're like, I'm not saying that that's the root cause of like lots of stuff in the world. But if you're telling these people that the emotions that they feel aren't real and then wonder why they're confused about emotions later, you yeah, know, yeah. If, they if they don't have agency, if you don't treat them as if they are actually beings that exist and have a, you know, their own consciousness, exactly. it's really hard for them to develop that later. Which is why I am always now I'm getting off on a tangent, but it's kind of related. But I'm kind of frustrated with parents who say, you know, I don't want to talk about, you know, sex with my kids. They're yeah. too young. And I'm like, uh, you know, we're all sexual beings. Right. And right. that doesn't just start when you're 18. Like, get married. Yeah, yeah. that doesn't all just start there like these are actual human beings that yeah. feel and think just like you and I do um, yeah as and in those emotions sometimes don't think right like because nobody's and ever given those, right they've never been given a framework to think about it so they're just like right. good. <laughs> absolutely I I always tell my kids and my kids will tell you honest to god I'm always telling my kids listen you got a question about sex, come ask me or your father, because we'll tell you the truth. Right now, it might make you cringe, but at least you're going to get yeah. some accuracy. I said, you can go ask your friends, yeah. but that's kind of specious whether yeah. it's going to be yeah. accurate or not. You haven't done anything, or if they've done it, probably have done things very wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's no way that's working out. Right, because they're the kids of the parents who are saying, I don't want to talk to my kid about yeah, sex. Right. Yeah, that's good. Uh, all right, here's the fourth. We got two left. So this isn't necessarily a celebrity, but I'm always interested in like, what's the weirdest, coolest, like when you like person that you've met? Like, what's that story? Gosh, I met a lot of people and I was trying to think like, who's the coolest person I met? Cool is defined by you. But the coolest person that's defined by me yeah. was my mom. My mom was so freaking cool and awesome and funny. Oh my gosh. She was just like hilarious. And many times when she was not even trying to be, she's like, I'm sitting here telling you the truth, Wanda. Why are you, you know, bowled over and laughing? But she just had this spirit that you know, she walked into a room, she instantly lit it up, but she was, um, she was also very wise and she was very deep and, you know, she had a high school education. She had some post high school um, education. She was a nurse and, you know, she, she raised these seven kids were all very different. Um, and she just had these life experiences that she always seem to turn and make them into something that you know was useful to everybody whether it was a good experience for her or bad and I found that she has made her way into both of my books and I I got this sneaking <laughs> suspicion and she's in the third one I'm working on too and I've got this sneaking suspicion she's going to be in all of them some aspect um, but she was just like the coolest person. I mean, you know, she was the type of woman who loved to dance, 
you know, she was wearing high heels well past, you know, when other women are like, oh, I got to get off of these high heels. Well, happening. <laughs> Nails done. She was just like very youthful in spirit. And yeah. um, she was the type of person people like to be around. And to me, that's a cool person, somebody yeah. who has a good heart and you enjoy being in their company. See, this Man, is no, no, this is one of those questions that I wrote with the thing in mind. And so many people have told me stories like that. I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm a terrible person because I had a totally different thing in mind. But that's a fantastic story. <laughs> and how lucky to have a mom that you think was like one of your favorite people to meet. Like, how lucky is that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I told like when my dad passed, he, he had uh pancreatic cancer we got 77 mm -hmm. days together and i told folks i didn't have to make a pilgrimage there my dad and i had said everything we needed to say we traveled all mm -hmm. over the country together we done we literally sat in the room and i was like man it's weird to be sitting here waiting for you to die and he's like yeah and then we talked about the draft the the football draft and I i've told folks like as a man what a gift that is yeah right? it is a gift because yeah. that is not an experience that a lot of men have that like all the emotional stuff had been dealt with years and years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That is a nice, healthy relationship. I love that. Yeah. I, I mean, it was work. <laughs> but it we got always there. is, isn't it? Yeah. Relationships that you value always are. Yeah. That's a, that's a thing that I've learned in my old age. You, when you're young, you think they just happen. And when you're old, you're like, bullshit. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So this is the last question. And I'm always like, as a writer, and you said you were a storyteller, what's your favorite story to tell? Ah, man. Okay, so usually they are stories about my kids. So they would bore anybody else to tears. <laughs> I think as far as writing goes, I like to tell the story of my writing journey. Um, because I had so many bumps and bruises and rejections and all sorts of things that happen to every writer. I mean, you know, unless you are, you know, one of the unusual people who just, you know, write something for the first time and it's immediately snapped up and auctioned by several publishing houses. But a lot of writers um, go through a lot of rejection, but I went through all that self-doubt. We talked about all that rejection and then I'm still here and I tell people don't give up because you just never know how close you are. I was this close to putting that book away, all her little secrets for the second time and never picking it up because I'd had so much rejection. And I went to a conference and I said, this is the last time I'm ever gonna pitch this book. If it doesn't get picked up this time, I'm done. And, you know, I'm going to put away this folly of writing. And um, and I went to that conference and I pitched it and I got an agent. That's so funny. you just never know how close you are. So you don't give up. It's frustrating. It's hard. Um, it's all those things. But I like to tell people that everybody's journey is different. Um but you will find your way. If this is what you want to do, if this is something that you're meant to do, you will find your way. You will. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, the other part of that too is that I tell folks like you have to define success the way you want to define it. 
exactly. you know, it's not always publishing with uh, Harper Collins like that. There's a lot of ways to success. I tell you, know, there's a center, and then there's a lot of ways into that center. Exactly. You exactly. Know? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if you can sort of give yourself that grace, you're like, oh, man, it's hard, but like it, it can happen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, listen, uh, this was as delightful as the first time we talked. Um, I love talking to you. I love seeing your smiling face. Uh, anywhere you run is out. It's in October, right? October 25th? October 25th. Anywhere you run comes out. William Morrill Harper Collins. That's really good. That's really good. Like you went from almost quitting to like pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm excited to read this one because honestly, uh, All Her Little Secrets was uh, somewhere back here. Like it was one of my favorite books. It was really good. So I'm excited. Are, is it, are we, I don't, we don't talk about the book, but like uh, same character or whole new characters? Well, there might be one or two characters in this book that you recognize. So you have a world. We're in a world now. Uh, we, right. we are in a world and we are back in Chillicothe, Georgia for a portion of the book. All right, good. Well, now I'm really excited to read it. Uh, thank you for spending an hour with me on this silly ass show that I do. I appreciate you very much. I adore you, Brad King, <laughs> and I adore this show. Thank you so much for having me. You have a good day. You do the same. Take care. Well, there you have it. That was Wanda Morris. Uh, charming as always. Lovely to hear her telling stories. Uh, if the audio sounded a little weird, uh, I messed up my microphone. This is what ha it happens like once a year. Uh, and this was that time. So uh, other than that, the play was great. Her book, Anywhere You Run, out right now. You should go get it while you're at it. Pick up her first one, All Her Little Secrets. Uh, you will not be disappointed. I promise you. Before we get out of here, a couple reminders. If you like what you heard, please leave a review over at Apple Podcasts or the Facebook page at The Writer's Jam and tell your friends about us. Don't forget, the Solid Listen Network is made up of 12 programs plus a ton of bonus content, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With podcast, hosted by our Solid Listen podcast queen, Molly MacLear. Don't forget... All of our programs come out every Wednesday. So that's the jam, the after party, and jam sessions. Get yourself subscribed wherever you're listening to podcasts right now. Don't miss anything we do. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. At least until Elon destroys Twitter. Until the next time, I will see you around the internet. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, 
and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.